Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. This is Scott Jones, your host. This is episode number 63. Athlete on Fire is a show that's meant to bridge the gap between amazing athletes and inspiring athletes all over the world and yourself. And uh, we're giving you mental and physical uh, ways to improve what you do athletically and competitively and really just getting you out there and moving and hopefully inspiring you and providing resources for you. That's my goal for the show. I think we're doing a pretty good job at that. Uh, I'm really enjoying the engagement with listeners from all over the world, and today is no different with our guest from Australia. I do a really good intro uh, when I hop on the line with her, so I'm not going to waste too much time, but just know that she's done some amazing things uh, in the endurance world. She's got a a unique perspective, and she's one of those people where I knew she was going to be amazing when I interviewed her, but after interviewing, there's so much more that we could have opened up that we didn't get to, and uh, things that have to do with the future, what she's working on, things that she's done in the past. Just a really, really cool woman. I think you guys will really enjoy that. I'm coming to you guys from Nashville, Tennessee. My family is driving across the country. We're stopping in some unique places. Uh, St. Louis, went to the Children's Museum, which is just nuts. I, I can't even describe it. Whoever built that thing, it was, it was all steel cages and kids can climb up at my my little guy uh why it was was really getting challenged out there but it's just a really cool experience we're here in nashville i sent my my mother-in-law and my wife to the grand old opry which is a pretty cool experience for those guys we're at the hotel preston if anybody's been there it's a pretty interesting uh artsy hotel i had no ideas what to ex- idea what to expect but it's been pretty cool but i'm actually sitting out by the pool uh while my little guys sleep it's not a typical thing. I'm usually in the office uh, recording this, but uh, I'm enjoying traveling and, and still interviewing some amazing athletes on the way. And it's crazy because today, with my interview with my Australian athlete that I interviewed today that you guys will hear here in a few minutes, I had no di- no disruptions whatsoever technologically with Skype. And uh, usually I have one or two at home, so I'm pretty, I was pretty pumped about that. So. I hope you guys really enjoy the show. If you have any questions about what she's doing or how to reach uh, out to one of the charities that she's working with, uh, that's all at the end of the show. She's going to share that with you guys. If you really like what I'm doing here at Athlete on Fire, shoot me an email, athletesonfire at gmail.com. I'd be happy to talk with you uh, about goals or questions about athletes I've had or even if you have a recommendation of an athlete that you think would be really interesting on the show. I'd love to do that. Uh, I'm going to let the show go from, from this point on. You guys enjoy uh, what today's guest has to say, and you're all athletes on fire. All you have to do is apply yourself. Thanks a lot. Prepare to be inspired by some of the most successful athletes on the planet. This is Athlete on Fire, your daily source of amazing stories that will ignite your pursuit of excellence and inspire you to be and do amazing things. Now, I have one question. Are you fired up? Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm here with my guests. We're already laughing before we got started. But really quick, I want you guys to imagine that you've been dropped off in the middle of one of the largest, driest deserts in the world. Over the next six days, you're going to have to run, jog, walk, or crawl 155 miles through the incessant heat up to 120 degrees across soft sand and hard-packed gravel over sand dunes, multiple stories high, and down razor-sharp rocky cliffs. You must do this carrying everything you need to survive, your clothes, your food, sunscreen, emergency medical supplies, and a sleeping bag, and a 20-pound pack on your back. Are you, are you guys able to do that? Because our guest today has done this uh, multiple times, and I'm excited to announce today uh, Miss Samantha Gash. How are you doing, Samantha? Hello. How are you? Good. I love that intro because you wrote it out for me off your website, and it's just unbelievable. And, and the fact that you've done this... Uh, over four of the most extreme deserts in the world is amazing, and we're, we're going to dive into that on the show today. 
Uh, but for anybody who's listening, this is Athlete on Fire. And what we do is we take amazing athletes from all over the world. Samantha's coming from Australia today, and we share their stories in hopes that we can bridge the gap uh, to help you guys do some amazing things. So uh, really quick, Samantha, before we dive into it, I'm just going to explain to you how this works, okay? Go for it. All right. So we have three segments today. And the first segment, we're really just going to kind of hang out. And if you're if you're here stateside and we're just grabbing a coffee or a beer or something, that's kind of what it's going to sound like. And that's called Athlete Defined. And our, and our second segment is called Athlete on Fire. We're going to find out the mental and physical capacity it takes to, to really do some of these amazing things. And you already have, you have an accomplishment list that's as long as uh, 20 scrolls down on, on the computer. So it's pretty cool. And then lastly, we're going to go to Athlete Inspired. And that's just about bring a little bit of resource, a little bit of inspiration to everybody listening so they can can go do some amazing things on their own. All right? Okay, let's go. All right, let's do this. So we're going to dive right into Athlete Defined. Uh, the first question I ask everybody is, you're 15 years old. It's a Saturday in the middle of the summer. What are you doing all day and who are you doing it with? Oh, you know what? I haven't seen the sun for so long. It's almost hard for me to remember it. Um, okay, I... Would be outdoors. I would be probably running in the backyard, and I would have a packet of salt and vinegar chips with me. And yeah, I'd probably be wearing some little shorts and a t-shirt and just running outside. Nice. So okay. So where were you in the world at this point? Do you know what? When I was fifteen, I, I was living uh, in Melbourne in my parents' home, and uh, we lived about. 35 kilometers away from the city so we had an acre block so there was lots of um it was kind of you know we had big lakes around us and heaps of blackberry picking areas so we were always outdoors and there was lots of horses around us um I never played any like computer games as a kid um so we had a big rose garden so my parents were just always outdoors doing different things so we'd be gardening um or just playing our own games outside Awesome, awesome. And really quick, you guys, if you're listening and you want to kind of follow along online, you can go to her website, samanthagash.net, simple as that. And, uh, you know, I always have websites kind of streaming on the back in the background when I'm talking to my guests. And you got some great imagery, and I can't wait to dive into some of your, some of your adventures here. Uh, but before we do that, let's go back to your childhood a little bit. Tell me, tell me about your family. Uh, you know, what were your parents like if you were with both yeah. of them? You know, do you have any siblings? Just what kind of work ethic was instilled, if anything? Just kind of tell a little story about that. Yeah, so it's funny because obviously I do quite a bit of running now. So people just naturally presume that I come from a family of runners or at least highly physically active people. Um, my parents were active, but I suppose not in the athletic sense. Um, my dad had polio as a child and it's really impacted um, one of his legs is slightly shorter than the other. So he doesn't run at all. Um, but my mum is a workhorse and she just gardens all the time. Like I kind of said, we had this acre block and you'd think for an acre block, you'd have a ride on mower. But my mum doesn't actually want to ride on mower. She likes kind of like the smaller hand-pushed one and she just every week is going up and back down the fourth, um, the garden just mowing. And I think she just loves to be outdoors and, and active in that kind of sense. And yeah, I have, an, I have an older sister. She's two years older than me. Her name is Cassandra and Cass is an engineer. And she's we're really different in a lot of sense, uh, particularly when we were growing up. 
but it's interesting. She came out to one of my races uh, in Egypt in 2010 and slowly over time she's actually started running herself and it's really cool over the past couple of years we run a lot together and uh, she tries to come on board to my running projects around the world. So it's it's been this really nice thing now that we're kind of 29, 31. Um, we're spending, we have a lot more commonality and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, so your mom was just a workhorse. So, how long would it take to mow an acre? Just out of oh, like two hours. <laughs> I'm trying. Hey. To, I'm trying to think because my my whole childhood was spent having to mow the mow the yard like five minutes before I wanted to do something because you can't leave until you do it, you know. But holy cow! No. Yeah, man, it was her th- therapeutic. And the funny thing is, she'd come in back into the house, and I don't know, like my sister and I might be sitting in the house, and mum would come back, and she'd be like completely black because she'd just <laughs> have like all the grass all over her face, all the dirt, and I don't know, she 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 still loves it. I mean, she's had a hip operation on both sides, and even with all of that, she just is always outside gardening. And I think those are the kind of elements that has helped me in my running, even though I don't come from a sporty family background. I come from a background of very hard workers. Uh, and that's kind of what I bring to the sport. No, that's so cool. And we're going to talk a lot about your sport today, but I'm just trying to paint a picture about you a little bit more. So so I, I know that you're a runner and, and let, let's tell people who are listening why you're on the show today. Why did I reach out to, to Samantha Gash as, as an athlete on fire? I mean, what are some things that you've done? I mentioned the, the Four Deserts Challenge. You're Really quick for anybody listening, you're the f- first female to complete that in the calendar year, as well as the youngest, I believe. Uh, is, th- is that correct? Yeah, at the time in 2010, um, I was the youngest person. I believe there's, you know, there's probably someone younger now, uh, and I was the first woman. So before I did that, there was only two um, two professional somewhat male athletes um, who had completed the four deserts in one year and and one of those was Dean Karnazes. Uh, So in 2010 there was just this bunch of I would just say everyday people who did like running but probably were more intrigued by adventure and travel and exploring different cultures and pushing their own personal boundaries and there was a bunch of those people who just wanted to tackle those four deserts in one year and you know I just happened to be one of them Uh, and it was a pretty cool experience to share that journey with you know people there was people from Hong Kong um, the UK uh, Singapore you know people were kind of all over the globe so we got a bit of a close-knit family of people who attempted that challenge that was in 2010 and really that was my first um, experience in ultramarathon running. Before then I had completed two marathons, uh, one in prep for that kind of the first race in the series and then one before in 2008. And it was completing my first marathon which was just a really defining place in my life. And do you know what? I reckon it's the same for nearly everyone who does a marathon because when you complete that I think – well, for me, that didn't come from a sporty background. I just had this immense sense of like satisfaction that I could physically do something of such magnitude, and not just the race itself, but the commitment to the training. Um, you know, I, I had an eighteen-week program. I stuck to it. I slowly built up my mileage each weekend, and I just—it was that sense of like empowerment from being committed to something that was completely different than what I'd been committed to in the past. Yeah, so that's really that was the start for me then. 
That's so cool. And if you know, you guys go check out her website. She she's done some cool stuff in 2014. Every year she's got some ridiculous events on there, which is is really cool. I mean, even from crewing out of bad water to doing some really cool charity stuff, which I want to talk about later on. I just think you've got a nice diversity there. But uh, also, just to let people know really quick. You actually have a job, right? Like this isn't you're oh, not a professional. Yeah. <laughs> I want to emphasize that because I think people think I run full time um, and I don't. In fact, um, yeah, I, I work at a company called Red Gum Communications and um, I train, I will act as a change facilitator uh, and a speaker at incorporations and for individuals as well. So I do the full time and my running has to be complementary to that. So whilst I do do um, quite long expeditions and races, I have to balance it like everyone else who has a full-time job and likes to have any kind of sport. Um, it's that challenge of time management and it's working the ebbs and flows of, you know, when you can maximise your training, when your training has to take a back seat even though you don't want it to. Uh, and, yeah, it's it's hard. If you're not a professional athlete, um, you, it's, you can have many challenges. I had Dakota Jones um, stay with me for a week this year. And for those who don't know him, Dakota is this amazing runner um, from America. Uh, He's won a stack of races. Uh, He was in Australia doing this race called the Buffalo Stampede. But do you know what? It was my first insight into what life would be like if you were a professional athlete. He would wake up in the morning and he would spend, you know, like 30 minutes stretching whilst reading a book. And then (laughs) he would have just, you know, a little bite to eat and then he would grab his handheld um, drink bottle and go for, you know, like a three, four hour run. And then he would come back and his girlfriend would have made him this beautiful meal when he returned home. And then he would just relax. Yeah. And he would, then he would just kind of relax afterwards. You know, his, his job essentially had been done and then it was about recovery. And I was like, wow, oh my, no wonder professional athletes can you know train and recover and to be as good as they are um, when they have that kind of um, I suppose routine you know here I am you know sometimes getting up at three three thirty in the morning fitting in my run as I head to work and then I go to work for a full yeah it's just it's so different um, and who knows what comes first the chicken or the egg if that's even the same you know it's like, actually I was going to say this for later in the show, but we can just dive right in because it's actually uh, it's in context. But I was going to ask you what you know. Let's just bullet point this out really quick for people because I guarantee you, ninety eight percent of the people listening are not. Well, I'd say ninety nine point nine are not professional athletes. So for people who want to do amazing things and have a normal life, what are three really good habits? Uh, two, if you can think of it, but three really good habits of working athletes how to manage time as, a, as somebody who's working. If you can help us out here, I think that would be a really cool resource for people. Yeah. Um, well, when I, you say habits, that's an interesting one. But the, the first one is you just have to love what you do. So if you love your sport, you'll just naturally make time for it. I mean, if it's something forced or you're doing it out of a dare or because you think it's you know, a cool thing to do, um, I, I guarantee the motivation will wane when you know work gets busy or, you know, there's all these social commitments that you'd like to stick to. So if you have that love and passion for why you're doing it, that that is the first essential step in my opinion. And if you, you don't have that, well, this, there's definite ways you can find it, um, but it's a good starter. Uh, the next one is to have a supportive network of people that get what you do because without that network, 
it becomes challenging at times to stick to your routine. Um, you know, we're naturally influenced by the people around us. And if you're around people that just think that your running is ridiculous or your sport makes no sense to them and they can't understand why you'd get up early or you might want to go to bed early or you don't want to drink too much in the night time because you've got to get up early for a training run, you know, I think it keeps it's hard to keep committed to whatever your plan and your focus is. And then the third one um, is just being really regimented with time um, and accepting of the fact that you'll never, you know, you'll often not be able to do everything that you want to do, but you just have to prioritise the important stuff. So, you know, right now for me, we'll talk about this later on in the project, but, you know, I'm training for a particularly long run, um, but it has a really high logistical component to it as well and then a fundraising component to it. And so I, I say my life is broken up into three things. Firstly, my work at Red Gun Communication. Secondly, it's the fundraising component. And, and then thirdly, it's the training side. And so I just try and I, I've determined those are the three most important things in my life right now. And I just need to work out how I balance those three things um, in kind of, I suppose, in equilibrium. So all of them are getting my attention. Awesome, awesome. And I, I always talk about the law of thirds when it comes to life, and you can yeah. break them down into a lot of different ways. They all kind of relate to the same thing. But really quick, just to wrap up, what we're talking about here, guys, uh, three habits to, to really balance the, the work and athletic piece. Um, you know, There's so many amazing athletes out there that are working real jobs, and Samantha's one of those. And, and number one is just to love what you're doing. The passion is going to really help you put energy towards it. Number two was to, to keep a network of people around you that actually get what you're doing. And uh, that can go with entrepreneurial pursuits as well as, as athletic pursuits. Oh, yeah. and, and lastly is the time management, just learning how to prioritize your time. If you have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to get something in, then that might just be how you manage your time for that period in, in your life. And all of those kind of allow for, for success in athletics. And really, those, those go across the board. Those, those help for anything. But would, would, Can I just say something? I remember when I was... I studied a double degree in performing arts and law and I was doing my honours in acting and I was given a comment by my director at the time when, I, I don't know, I think I'd come into to a performance piece and I hadn't learnt my lines and my director said to me, you know, you're more than happy to stay up till 2am to go out to a party, um, to kind of go for a 21st or whatever it is. He goes, well, you should have that same kind of focus, if you need to stay up until 2am to learn your lines for this part, you, you should have that same commitment. And I kind of remember that. I'm like, oh, we make choices to kind of fit in our social life all the time. Why don't we do these for things that we're also really passionate about as well? Yeah, that's good. No, I mean, what are you willing to sacrifice to, to really reach so a certain goal, you know? It's crazy. And for me, it's a theme. You know, you're the probably close to 70th person that I've interviewed for the show. And, and the themes are pretty strong. Like people are willing to sacrifice if they want to reach that next level. So, all right. So I want to, I want to start getting to the next segment here. There's one more question in athlete defined. That I think will really wrap everything up here. And, and the question is what's the most inspiring thing that you've ever witnessed in person that has to do with athletics or competition that you can share with us today? Uh, I know you like specifics and I've been thinking about this question because you kind of briefed me on it before. But all I keep thinking of in my head is the times when I've done the multi-stage racings when people completely abandon their objective in order to help someone else just get to the finish line. 
And I've seen it countless times. You know, people go into these races as individuals. And a a multi-stage race, just to kind of explain it to people, is where you're running for multiple days uh, and between each of those stages you're sleeping, you know, in a tent um, with people, with other competitors. So you sign up as an individual. You might know no one. And you have these objectives of maybe placing in the top 10, the top 20. And then all of a sudden you get through a stage and you see someone who you've had this kind of, you might have had a conversation with them once or twice, you know, around the campfire at night times, and you see them really battling. And, you know, I've kind of gone through it myself, but I've seen it far more times that people will just drop their goal of being, you know, in the top 10 or top 20 and kind of stick with that person and do whatever they can to get them to the finish line. And, you know, I think the greater reward than placing in the top 10 or top 20 is that they have developed this incredible relationship with someone who's essentially a stranger and that relationship is a far greater reward than the placing of top 10 or top 20 that you're probably not going to remember in five years down the track anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I mean, endurance sports, generally you see this, you know, you see people abandoning individual accomplishment to help other people, which which it's it's kind of an anomaly because it, it seems like such an individual sport anyway versus your team, your typical team sports, but people are always helping others and it's, it's a pretty neat phenomenon. I love it. Th- thanks for that story, Samantha. I love it. We're going to move on to the next segment, with which is Athlete on Fire. And uh, this is more about the mental and physical stuff that really allows you to do these amazing things. And we, I always like to start this one off. If people are in the gym listening to us right now or they're out on the track, let's give them something to think about as far as their fitness is concerned. Do you have a good challenge? We call this Fitness on Fire. Do you have a good challenge for people uh, who are listening that, that they can go out and try on their own that has to do with the, a, a tough workout or mentality with, with training? Yeah, well... Okay, so I'm a, a long-distance runner, but my coach, and my coach, he's called Ray Zahab. He's a, also a really long, 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 long-distance runner in Canada, and he's run across the whole Sahara Desert, run across the Gobi Desert. I mean, he's a desert guy, but he's just he's amazing. But he also he really believes that as a distance runner, you can be better by doing intensive workouts um, of like – I suppose, more of your interval kind of base sessions. And I hate it and I'm not very good at it, but it's made me become a better runner. And um, I just had a bit of a check of like one of his interval sessions that probably killed me. Um, It was I had to warm up for a kilometre, so just easy pace for about a kilometre. And I suggest you you can do this in a track um, or on the treadmill. Yep, so warm up for 1K. And then five um, reps of 400 meters, and then five reps of 800 meters, and one rep of a thousand meters. Nice, full effort. Yeah, and so you obviously have a you have you know like so if you're doing five reps of the 400 meters, then you have a 400 meter recovery, and then yeah, but it's painful. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's just uh, you know I just put one of my clients who's a who's an everyday runner, who actually didn't know she had a propensity for running. She's really a strong runner. She's in her 50s. and she Anyway, just amazing runner. She's, she hasn't done a lot of track work before. So for 4th of July out here in the States, I, I brought her out to the track, and we did a, we did a, a mile. We, we did four laps, so six, you know, 1,600 meters. Then we did two, eight, eight, two 800s and, and four 400s, and it just absolutely cashed her out. 
And I think, Samantha, I think you have a similar feel to, to speed work as tons of endurance athletes do. You know, people love to be com- comfortable on, on a long run. And when you hop on the track, it's it's definitely not that. Even if you're doing these distances off of a track, it's just brutal. You just aren't used to it, you know? Yeah, well, it's good to – because you're outside of your comfort zone once you go beyond, you know, like 100 Ks, you need to know what it's like. And the best way you can replicate it is kind of pushing at a shorter speed uh, because we'll go on that long run on the weekend and you'll often be running within yourself. And so interval speed work is the best way of kind of running outside of yourself. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Anybody out there, you guys got to try that workout out. Uh, all right. So diving into Athlete on Fire, do you have a good quote or mantra that you really like to, to fall back on? Uh, I'm a big fan for Marianne Williamson. Uh, and I don't know if you know this quote. It's kind of an adaption of um, a speech said by Nelson Mandela in 1994 and it was it's not a mantra it's more of a quote something that I just think about and it's it's a little bit long but I'll just kind of give you the start of it um it's our deepest fear is is not that we are inadequate our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure it is our light not our darkness that frightens us most we ask ourselves who am I to be brilliant gorgeous talented and famous actually who are you not to be You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in all of us. And when we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And so I kind of came across that what I think is a really beautiful quote um, a couple of years ago. And I suppose whenever I have, in Australia, we have this thing called the tall poppy syndrome. And it's where people who kind of are, I suppose, raising themselves to be an expert in an area or to be an authority on something or to be particularly good at something, um, it's a natural thing that people try and cut them down. You know, so if you imagine a field full of poppies and there's one poppy that's kind of slightly taller, you know, they'll, they'll cut that down to be the size of everyone else. And I feel like this quote is just giving people permission to do what they love to do and if that so happens that they become great at it, well, in fact, they will be great at it because when you love something, you will always stand out. And I think that's just a beautiful quote for that. Oh, that's so cool. There, there's only a few moments in, on the show where I really get the little, the little goosebumps going, and it usually happens on quotes that people are passionate about, and you just reciting the quote, I could feel the passion. But for people who are listening, that's, I mean, this is what this show is about, just to show you that people are getting outside of their comfort zone, and they're willing to fail. And, the, you know, the, the fear of success, which is really what that quote really speaks to, uh, is real in a lot of people, because you don't know what's going to happen when you get past a certain level. And when you really reach that that level that you're you're shooting for, and for me, and and for a lot of people listening, including you, Samantha, I think just really pushing yourself and not listening to all the all the negativity around you and just going for it is really powerful. So thanks for that. All right, so we got a lot of good stuff here. We're we're going to dive into the the nuts and bolts of being an athlete, and a lot of that's mental and a lot of that's physical. We're going to dive into the mental first, and then we'll go right into the physical. And honestly, dude, we could spend eight, 18 hours on this stuff with every guest. And I try, you know, if I have to pull us back in here after a few minutes, I'll do that. 
but, but, but uh, trust me. <laughs> so let's have fun with the mental piece. Do you have any fun habits or rituals or superstitions that you have to go through before a competition or during, during a long run or something that you can share with us or no? Do you know what? I don't have, I don't have a routine in terms of this. The only thing that I remember, like in terms of like the mental side, is I do quite a bit of visualization, particularly when I'm running in a place that I've never been before. And that's probably a huge characteristic of ultra trail running is that you might travel overseas, you've never been to that place before, and you don't know what your, I suppose, the challenges that you're going to face. And my biggest thing is I'm a control freak and so I like to have awareness of kind of the things that might happen to me whilst I'm racing and I've kind of had to let that go as the years have come on. But for me, I will try and visualise some of the immense challenges that I imagine could happen. So when I was prepping for that run in Sahara uh, in 2010, it was hard for me to kind of imagine what it would be like to run in the hottest desert on earth um, yeah, I know I come from Australia, but Melbourne's warm, but it's, you know, if I was out north, it'd be a lot warmer um, in Australia. So for me, I just visualise what it would be like to be super uncomfortable and not just super uncomfortable, but the notion that I couldn't escape that uh, for five or six days. And so I tried to find a way for my mind to just be comfortable with the idea of immense, um, I suppose, discomfort. Uh, and I kind of visualise the idea of like a series of, you know, hair dryers on full fours just being blown in front of my face and I just couldn't switch them off. Um, and then, I, you know, I, I did the Bikram yoga stuff to try and kind of just imagine what it was like. But you know what? You know, Bikram yoga, you leave after an hour and a half and so your mind's already going, okay, well, it's horrible right now and I'm just, you know, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable but I get to be reprieved from that an, an hour and a half later. And when I did the Sahara, you, you you never escape that for the whole, you know, six days that you're out there. So it, that kind of visualisation was what I would do to prep for that. Oh, that's great. And visualisation is, is a recurring theme in the show. And, and for you guys listening, I mean, all, all you need is a head and a mind to visualise. And it's, a very, it's one of the more powerful things you can do without really even having that much training in it. Of course, there's lots of ways to do it uh, successfully. But really what Samantha is saying is just imagine everything that can possibly go right and wrong and how you deal with both of those before you go out and compete, and it's going to help a lot. And uh, Actually, you know, while we're sitting here, the Desert Runners movie, it's actually a documentary about about those four uh, deserts that you, you ran across. If you guys want to check that out, it's desertrunnersmovie.com. And it's got, it's got some more biographies on some of the people she ran with. I'm sure... Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you have any cool stories about someone, someone, or a couple people that you met over there that might be interesting to to listeners right now? Just whether it's a relationship or something that happened during one of the things that would be really just a good story to share. Oh, I mean, you know what? That year was incredible in terms of the people that I met. Um, for anyone who's seen the film or is going to see it, um, you'll see that I developed this pretty cool relationship, friendship, with um, this New Zealand um, girl called Lisa Tamati. Now, Lisa, I knew of her before I did these races and I was this complete novice. And uh, Lisa had run the length of New Zealand. Um, she's She'd run like over 200 ultramarathons before she came to China when I first met her. And uh, Lisa on the second day asked me if I wanted to 
to run the long stage with her. So a bit of context, day five, it's the longest stage of these, you know, multi-stage races, anywhere between 70 to 100 k's. And uh, in this race, it was 99 k's. And Lee said, you know, how about we run together? And I was so flattered that she wanted to run with me, being completely inexperienced, but I was petrified at the same time. And here's just kind of a bit of a humorous story. It's not in the film, but it's kind of ridiculous and just kind of talks about the essence of how you break down boundaries with people when you do these races. We're running together. It's like, you know, 18 hours on this long stage. And Lisa's strategy was just, you know what, let's go slowly. Let's not kind of try and break any records with speed, but let's not stop at all. And we get to about 7 p.m. at night and when you expect the sun to die down the sun got stronger it's like the clouds parted and like heat was beaming down onto us and it was just awful it was just it was so stifling it was so uncomfortable some of the kids had taken away the checkpoint markers so we didn't know where we were going so we're kind of running around not knowing where we are where our, our water's running out and at one point we see this stream um, on to the left of us. We run down to the stream and we basically throw our bodies in the stream and we're just crying. I mean, with these, these two grown women basically crying for their mummies because we're just completely despairing. And then I, mean, I can't even believe I did this, but Lisa said like the next moment she turned around and I'm just like going for a pee right next to her. Like in between this despair, I just was like, I really need to go to the bathroom. And all you think about is like, okay, I've got a need and now I need to, to deal with it. And so I just went and like went to the toilet. And Lisa's <laughs> like, oh, oh, I turn around and I'm crying and then all of a sudden I see a bum in my face. <laughs> uh, so that's a moment about how you get very close with people really quickly and the idea of walking 100 metres away from someone um, so you can go to the bathroom just seems a bit too painful. So you just do it right in front of them. <laughs> Hey, there could be scarier things in the in the desert, I suppose. But <laughs> a, a booty in your, a booty in your face, you're not expecting it. That's one of them. Also, yeah. so okay, so mental stuff. I think I think visualization that that's a great mental key. Uh, you know, the stories with people when you're competing. Of course, the, the endurance stuff. You know, you probably come out feeling like you're you're a huge teammate or lifelong friend after a lot of this stuff. But what about when you're out there and, and you have thoughts of quitting? I mean, what's the quickest way to get from quitting to, to not even thinking about it? Well, the one commonality between the people who completed these races is that they didn't entertain into their mind at all the concept of quitting. And, you know, I, this is a double-edged sword because, and I'll explain that in a moment, but I think it's a really crucial thing when you're doing these endurance events. If you've entertained the idea of quitting before you start, you're basically giving yourself permission to pull out when the going gets tough. And I guarantee you the going will get tough. So if you say to yourself, well, if my knee, like I'm going into this race and I've got this like slight knee injury, it's kind of just this bit of a pain, there is no doubt when you're hurting, your knee is going to start kind of telling you signs that, you know, I'm, I, it's flaring up or it's worse than what it is. And so you basically legitimise pulling out because you've already, you've almost created that body's response to what you've said is your pull-out trigger. Uh, and so I would say that time and time again, whoever said they had a lingering injury going into a race, 
that would be something that would definitely flare up. And I think the mind is so powerful about putting those kind of things at bay. Um, obviously, acute injuries, if, if it happens, it happens. But I think your mind is so much more powerful than you give it credit for. At the same time, I think it's really important, and I've, I've experienced some pretty horrific things through endurance racing. I think it's really important that you are capable of reading your body's signals when there truly is something going wrong. Uh, so I was in a race in 2011 and a bushfire erupted during the course. And my, internally I said to myself, this makes no sense. It's ridiculous to be running whilst there was a bushfire basically 300 metres to my right. Um, but the next moment I said to myself is, Sam, you're just trying to find a reason to pull out. And so I kept going. Now two girls got incredibly burnt by that fire, 80% burns to their bodies. And it was this huge reminder to myself that you need to be capable of listening to your gut. And although you might be so obsessed and focused on completing your goal, you need to know when to pull out and when enough is enough because at the end of the day it's just running. It's not life. Um, well, it's not the entirety of life and safety is always going to be more important. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, awesome point. I think I think that gives people a lot of, a lot of resources, especially for – you know, 99% of these events that people are, are trying and, you know, even team sport athletes are out there, a lot of it's going to be an acute injury that really tells you right away what's going on. But, but for the other stuff, just use your gut. Use some common sense. In the end, it's, it's probably going to help you a lot. And don't set yourself up for, for definitely for quitting before you even get started. So, all right, you know, the physical piece, obviously, if you want to take just a second, what, what is your philosophy on, on training physically for really long endurance events? My training is, yeah, that's great. My philosophy for, for training for long stuff, uh, that you just have to do it. <laughs> um, I always, I have a coach for this kind of stuff. Um, I think the training is so immense that I, I like to rely on the programs by someone else who knows what they're talking about more than me with it. And so by having been told by an authority on, you know, long distance running what to do, for me, my job is just to try and commit to, you know, I'm, I'm realistic. I try and commit to 80, 80 to 90% of the training program um, because the training program is nearly always more than I can fit in with full-time work. And so I have to work out the 80% that I can do of, and make sure that because I'm not doing 100%, it needs to be quality. So I definitely prescribe to quality over quantity, even though what I do is about volume, um, essentially, when I do these expeditions. Uh, and yeah, so that, that's probably my philosophy. All right. So that makes total sense. And I think just deferring to professionals is great, <laughs> obviously. It makes it easier on you and then, then you can just focus on the mental piece and the logistics and all that. I know you said yeah, it's, more, it's more accountability as well. If you know, sometimes we're much happier to let ourselves down, but we're less likely to let someone else down. Absolutely, and you, you know, there's. I wrote down some notes about some questions that I had for you that aren't really right with our, our normal our, our normal format here. Uh, so my wife is an endurance athlete as well, and uh, she had a few questions that she thought would be really good for you because there's, you always hear about endurance athletes with their hallucina hallucinations. And mm. so, have you had any crazy hallucinations? If so, what were they? Kind of curious. Oh, yeah, I did. When I did a nonstop 379 kilometer run through the Simpson Desert in Australia. And so, in miles, maybe that's around, I don't know, 200 miles? Um, yeah. Oh, 200, 240. 230 miles. 240, 230 miles. And, uh, 
it took me three days, 14 hours and 28 minutes. And it was, I was running through sand the entire way, really quite soft sand. And the Simpson Desert is characterized by the most amount of parallel sand dunes in the world. So every few hundred meters, I'd be going up a sand dune. And towards the end, like I kept my wits about me for so long. And then as I kind of left the main part of the desert and I was making my way to the pub, which is like the, that, which was my finishing point. I was finishing on the Birdsville pub and I was knocking on the door and that was the finish of my run. Um, I thought I was seeing elephants and I was, I mean, it was crazy. There's no elephants in the Simpson desert, but I was convinced that far away, to, to the either the right and the left of me, there was elephants, and it was actually just bushes on the side of the road, just like tumbleweed. And that same moment, I was seeing the lights into the distance of the town, and I was convinced that it was a train that was coming kind of towards me and getting closer and closer and closer. But it was just me getting closer to the town. But I thought it was moving. Oh, so that's it, awesome. yeah, that's probably two of the biggest ones I've had. Elephants and trains, baby. I love it. Elephants and trains. I don't know what it means, <laughs> but it meant something. It meant something. It meant that you were probably a little dehydrated. And, uh, yeah, probably. And probably been running for 87 hours. Yeah, I needed to go to bed. <laughs> All right, so I had a note here. I don't know why I wrote this down, but I'm just going to – I don't usually do this with guests, but I wrote a note, and it's kind of an interesting one. I just wrote Bear Grylls. Is there a connection with Bear Grylls? Did you meet him or run with him or something? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Did you, how did you know that? I don't know, but I have the note right here. <laughs> Gosh, well, yeah, I met Bear Grylls uh, in 2011 when we were both um, the speakers at a, a Juice Plus conference. And Juice Plus is a fruit and veg- vegetable whole food supplement and kind of runs in like a distributor kind of uh, form of a company. And they have these massive conferences in, in the States. And I was, was I, in Long, I was in Long Beach uh, in California and I spoke on a panel with four other people, you know, on the first night and then Bear Grylls spoke the next day. And I was sitting in the audience with two of Bear Grylls' friends and as he was talking I was so intrigued by what he was saying. In fact, there was about six, you know, 6,000 people in that audience and everyone was at the edge of their seat and not, there wasn't a cough. There was not a cough heard in the room. And I thought he would be really full of energy when he spoke but he, and kind of all over the place and jumping from, you know, spot to spot. But he's a very controlled speaker and with so much heart and depth. And um, as he was speaking, I just uh, it was amazing. So these guys who, was, who knew Bear, they kind of like whispered in my ear, oh, you're the girl version of Bear Grylls. And I'm like, oh, my God, what a compliment. <laughs> and uh, they introduced me to him afterwards and I just, there was a whole swarm of people and, I'm essentially, I'm very vertically challenged. I'm under five foot. And <laughs> these guys just had to drag me into the middle of this like group of people and they introduced me to Bear Girls afterwards and we had a little bit of a chat and, yeah, it was pretty cool. I think he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's he's amazing guy. And I, just, I, I, I had that note there. I don't know because I probably put it down a week ago. But, yeah, thanks for sharing that story. It's really cool. He, he's an amazing dude. You should have challenged him to run across the, the Atacama, you know. Yeah, Backwards. well, I don't done that to come. I, I want to challenge him to do what I'm doing next. Come out for a day with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So actually, let's go into that because I, I know you have a charitable thing coming up, and uh, the the Freedom Runners is that right? And then yeah. you have this huge thirty day, thirty two day event. I, I read. Uh, sh- share with us what that's all about. What are you, what are you working on in in South Africa that you can share with us right now? 
Yeah, so I am running, I guess the physical side is going to make me sound crazy, but I, I guarantee you I'm not a crazy person. In fact, I would say I'm the most moderate ultra runner that you can find. Oh, okay, maybe not that you can find. That's Now that's an exaggeration. So <laughs> I am running for 32 days and averaging 80Ks a day. Uh, in, basically, I'm running across South Africa and I'm running, it's not a race, um, it's definitely much more of an expedition. I'm running, running with a lady from the UK called Mimi Anderson and she is 51 years of age. And we go from Peter Maricksburg, uh all the way to Cape Town. And so if anyone who knows South Africa, we're running not on the coast but more inland and we're running on a mountain bike track um, that also goes off into these really technical sections called features. So, yes, the physical side of it is, you know, pretty intense. But the reason that made me do it is uh, when I learnt that one in three South African girls don't go to school uh, when they have their periods because they will there's for a few reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is because they can't afford our feminine hygiene products. And do you know what? This just really blew my mind. Um, you know, I think of South Africa as, as probably one of the most developed countries in that region. And the idea that there's such high stats of girls who aren't able to go to school because they've, you know, one of the most natural things that happens to their bodies, it really, it took me back and you know, as a bit of background to myself, you know, I studied a law degree for the purpose of wanting to be able to make a difference to social issues that I cared about. And so when Mimi asked if I was interested in doing this run, the first thought I had was no way, like there's no interest to run that kind of distance. But then when I thought that running for 32 days could stand for so much more, you know, essentially it could stand for an advertising campaign, raising awareness to that particular issue about basically um, a hindrance for girls being able to get an education and then getting confidence and empowerment because that's what happens through education. So Mimi and I spent several months devising this, I suppose, plan for how we could raise money for something that could be really tangible. So we decided to set up a social enterprise business in partnership with the global NGO Save the Children and the business would employ a dozen women to manufacture affordable feminine hygiene products and those products would be just distributed at low cost to girls within that community or in, in a specific community and and the whole purpose is yes it, it's about education for people it's it's for employment for those dozen women but it's just about these young women within South Africa being able to have an opportunity, one, to education and just to have confidence in themselves. So that's what I'm doing in like 80, 80 days' time. Um, I fly over to Cape Town and then we begin this quite intense eight, averaging 80Ks a day for 32 days. Wow. So that's just about 50 miles a day. That's unbelievable, Samantha. So, hey, is there anywhere that we can find information about that besides your website or is, is that it? Yeah, it there is two places that you can go for it. So the first way is um, on our website, which is freedomrunners.org. So freedomrunners, all lowercase, one word, dot O-R-G. Uh, and that's our, obviously, expedition website. We've got heaps of articles on there. Um, and also once we do the expedition, we'll have a big map on there that tracks where we are and we'll have heaps of video content. Uh, but we've also got a – I don't know if you've heard about it um, – you guys have got Kickstarter in um, the US, but in Australia, one of our platforms that we have as a crowd raising platform is called Posible, P-O-Z-I-B-L-E. 
And we've got a possible campaign at the moment that we're trying to raise 16 grand in 60 days. So we've had the campaign up for 16 days so far and we've raised $8,190. So we're over halfway to getting the 16K. And unfortunately, unless we get all of the 16,000, we get none of it. So um, I'll put up on my on the Freedom Runners uh, website. I don't think we have it up there yet, but I'll put the link to our possible campaign because we actually have heaps of rewards. So for any money that you pledge to our campaign, which goes to the social enterprise, you know, we've got baths, we've got which are those, you know, those headbands that you wear on your head, we've got gluten-free e-books, we've got um, Freedom Runners T-shirts, We've got online coaching, um, you know, a bulletproof legs program, all these different things um, that we'll give to you in exchange for your dollars towards our charity focus. So, yeah, I'd love if anyone feels connected to, to obviously what we're doing in South Africa and how we're doing it. Um, I'd love for them to kind of pledge their support to the project. Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely link that up. I think it's just amazing. And, and you know, we've gone over time here today, but I'm happy to go over time when, when we have such amazing content. I, I appreciate your, your time today too, Samantha. So so let, let's move on. We're going to go to the last segment, which is the shortest, and it's called Athlete Inspired. But before we do that, we like to have a little fun before we dive into that. So uh, we like to do a little quiz. It's been inspired from, from a couple shows I've watched or listened to for over the years. And uh, basically what this one is, is, is uh, you've run through four deserts, of course, four of the most extreme deserts in the world. But I want to know, what do you know about the four seasons? The hotel? No. <laughs> the four seasons? The, music, like the weather? The musical group from the 60s and 70s and 50s. Oh, I don't know that much. Nothing. Okay, so there's a movie out called Jersey Boys. It's in the States. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I know Jersey. Yep, yep, yep. I know a <laughs> So those are the four seasons. We're going to quiz you on these guys. Okay, you ready? But I know nothing. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Ide- ideally, you don't. This is the fun part of it all. All right. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So these are going to be multiple choice since you don't know anything about it. Are right, you ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Where did the name Four Seasons come, come from for the band? Was it A, the Four Seasons, duh, B, the four aspects of human emotion, anger, happiness, sadness, and indifference, or C, a bowling alley? A bowling alley. Boom. Actually, the movie's really good. I saw it a couple weeks ago. All right, next. You actually got that right, and you don't know anything. This is really sad. Number two, <laughs> what inspired the famous song Ragdoll? Was it A, Frankie Valli's favorite childhood toy? Was it B, a windshield washer? Or was it C, when Bob Gaudio was attacked by a dog and thrown around like a ragdoll? B. A windshield washer. Unbelievable. Okay. Two for two. We're going to the last one. The last one is Frankie Valli had a family member with ties to what 80s TV show? Was it A, Full House, B, Saved by the Bell, or C, The Smurfs? Oh, Saved by the Bell. Incorrect. Thank you for not getting all these right. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, everybody knows Saved by the Bell, unfortunately, because there's repeats of it on all over the world nonstop. It was actually Full House. Okay, that was, that was my second guest. You know, um, so I had no idea about any of those. But I'm a multi like um, question queen. If you're studying a law degree, you, you have quite a few multiple questions, and there is a science behind it. So <laughs> there is. I mean, just to yeah. testing alone. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly awesome. Right. All right, so we're gonna go to the last segment here, and uh, you know, we're gonna give a little resource, but really, it's just just to, to wrap up. And and the first question, and I have a feeling I know the answer, but is legacy important to you? Yes, certainly. And why? Well, I just think, I, I can only say it from my point of view, I just feel really privileged with 
the opportunities that I've been able to have. And I, I suppose I do feel this, well, desire, but also obligation to be able to contribute back um, and not in an a way that makes no sense. Like it's got to be an authentic connection in how I want to have a legacy and, and contribution. But I just think it's, you know, for those who have had blessed opportunities, great education, um, that it's just something very easy that we can do. And uh, people people think it's harder than what it is and it's really not. No, absolutely. Good answer, good answer. All right, um, so do you have a book that you can recommend to our listeners that, that you really like, that really you draw from? Yeah, I, I was given it to my, by my good friend Charlie Syme um, the other day and it's called Half the Sky, How to Change the World. I'm actually reading it right now because it's just so relevant for what I'm trying to do in South Africa. Um, it's by Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wooden uh, and it's just it talks about it really talks about education and how education is the barrier well, is the way that women are able to get out of the situations that they are and, and and out of poverty. I mean, it goes through a lot of stuff, but that's one of the greatest sentiments I've taken out of it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll link up any any resources that that are interesting from the show. We will link up on the show notes at athleteonfire.com. You guys just click on the podcast link. That's how we get to all these shows. There's other resources as well, of course. Uh, all right, so we have two questions left here, Samantha. The, the 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 first one is, you know, we're so connected. Why don't you just tell people how they can connect with you uh, online and through social? Yeah, so uh, I'm on, you know, your typical Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, so just Samantha Gash. Nothing funny. That's just my name. Um, you can find, you can connect to me with me there. Uh, obviously, the FreedomRunners.org website. Uh, and, you know, uh, Scott will give you the possible link as well. But um, you can also just direct um, donate directly to our link through Save the Children, and that's all on our Freedom Runners page um, that you can find. And then samanthagash.com. So the major ways that you can connect with me. Awesome, awesome. So we're going to wrap everything up. We're going to go back to a question I asked you in the very beginning uh, about the 15-year-old version of yourself and what you were doing when you you're younger. So right now, why don't you just give that 15-year-old version of yourself some advice? Oh, good question. Um, see, I'm not really a person to have re- regret and I really think like life's process is what it's meant to be. And I've definitely made a lot of mistakes in my life with, you know, different directions or choices I've made, but I definitely feel that it's just kind of led me to the path that I am now. Um, so the only thing that I would probably say to that very small person um, is to just be authentic and to, to just keep doing things that I care about um, and, you know, keep surrounding myself around people to good people. But as I, you know what, Scott, as I, as I seriously say that I don't have any advice because like, I just really believe that whatever happened is what was meant to happen in my life and I probably wouldn't have my time over again and change it, even to try and change some of the potentially negative things that happened through my kind of course. Awesome. No, that that's as good advice as we've heard on the show. And and Samantha, really quick, I I love that you took some time out of your busy day. I love that we had a decent connection, <laughs> technologically. And I I, know. I feel like we we could talk about this stuff forever. I would love to have you back on after you go do your thirty two days in South Africa. Would that be cool? Oh man, we'd love that. That'd be awesome. Awesome. And thank you so much for your time, you guys. You guys were listening to to me, Scott Jones, on the Athlete on Fire show, and you were inspired by Samantha Gash, who is obviously an athlete on fire thank you very much thank you for listening to athlete on fire stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com